The Bible reading is from Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse 1. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders, they devised a plan. They gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, His disciples came during the night and stole him away while you were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this is the story that has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it's wonderful to see you all this evening. Uh, Let me add my welcome to that given before by Kath. My name's Mal York, uh, and I really want to wish you all a happy Easter. I hope you've had a wonderful day celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. Today, we conclude our short series on the great Easter scandal. Over the past few days, we've seen the scandalous claims of that first Easter. The guilty going free, the innocent one dying. And today, we see how the tomb was empty. But it's not the only scandal that we see around death. To many, death is the great unknown. Some have claimed that there's life after death. Others claim that there's reincarnation after you die. And still others claim there is nothing. So it becomes the realms of scandal, doesn't it? Maybe you've heard that some people have claimed that Elvis Presley is alive. They claim he's not dead but living in Mexico. Sounds pretty scandalous, doesn't it? I once saw one of those dodgy English newspapers. On the front cover, it claimed that Adolf Hitler was still alive and living in, guess where, in Tibet. The front page showed this picture of this old wrinkled man with this small moustache under his nose. I don't think so. But if it was true, it would be scandalous. It would be scandalous, wouldn't it? Because this is not what happens when someone dies. We expect them to stay dead. But this is what makes that first Easter Sunday so different, so scandalous. The tomb that held Jesus' dead body was found empty. The question becomes, is it true? 
And the answer to this changes everything. Today, I hope to show you that not only is this account true, but how you respond to it matters. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come and look at your word this evening. We pray that you will open it by your spirit. Help us to understand the truth of Jesus' resurrection and how to respond appropriately. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for those of you at home, it would be helpful if you have the passage open uh, that was read out to us before, so you can follow along as I'll be referring to it throughout the talk. It's hard to imagine what it would have been like for those women as they approached the tomb that first Sunday morning just under 2,000 years ago. The few days before had been pretty full on. Not only had their Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ been taken prisoner for something that he didn't do, but the guilty Barabbas was set free and all of Jesus' closest friends, his disciples, had left him. Then Jesus had been flogged, tortured and hung on a cross to die. And then after he died, he was taken off the cross and laid in a tomb. But without the usual burial ceremonies of, uh, of ointment and spices that you do for someone who has died. You see, the Sabbath was coming and people needed to head home on the Sabbath. Uh, the Sabbath to a Jew in the first century is like us being in lockdown for the coronavirus. But for the women who witnessed this, these are images that do not leave your mind quickly, aren't they? Their friend, crucified, dead, wrapped in linen cloth and laid in a tomb. The account that was just read for us comes two days after this. The same women who are now walking to the garden tomb, carrying spices to finalise the burial of Jesus. You can imagine the thoughts running through their minds, maybe even on their lips as they walk closer to the tomb. What will the body look like? Who will remove the stone? You see, this massive stone had been put in front of the tomb because there was a rumour going around that Jesus would rise again from the dead. The rumours came from Jesus' own claim that he would. On at least three recorded occasions in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus told his disciples he would rise again. And so there was concern amongst the leadership of the Jews and the Romans that, this, that his disciples would somehow hatch a plan to make these words come true. And so to put a stop to this, a big stone was put in front of the tomb and a group of expert Roman guards were placed in front of the tomb to make sure that no one came and took the body. Or if Jesus himself did come out of the tomb, somehow resuscitated, then he, they could kill him once and for all. But when the women arrive, they receive the surprise of their lives. Can you see it there written in verses 1 to 4? Suddenly, just as the woman arrived to the tomb, an angel of the Lord came down, causing a massive earthquake and rolling the stone away, and then the angel sits on it. See how the angel is described there in verse 3. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. He was absolutely pure. And you could imagine that this would have made the women absolutely frightened. And look what happens to the guards. They tremble and become like dead men. They, they completely freeze, not knowing what to do. I mean, what could they do? Clearly, this is not what the women are expecting. Nor the guards, it should be said. Dead people are supposed to stay dead in, in their graves, in, in the tomb. Angels are not supposed to be here. They belong in heaven. But sure enough, there he was, sitting on the stone and inflicting panic amongst the Roman guards. 
Now see what the angel says there in verses 5 to 7. He knows that the women are looking for Jesus, the one who was crucified, but he has some news for them. He is not here. He has risen. What would your response have been uh, that day to the angels if you were one of the women, expecting to find a dead Jesus in the tomb? And this angel suddenly tells you, you know what? He's not here. He's risen. I'm not very good at responding when something unexpected happens. I remember when Heather was pregnant with our first child. She was due to be induced that evening, and I was in the kitchen making dinner. She called out, Mal, I think my waters are broken. I was shocked. My response was so bad, I said, are you serious? But I've just made dinner. I think if I was there and the angels told me that Jesus had had risen, I probably would have said, are you serious? But we haven't even had breakfast yet. This is not what the women were expecting this day, was it? The angels, knew, the angels' news put a sudden stop to the plans of the day. But this is what you would expect with news like this. I mean, really, a man who was dead, now alive, it really is the type of news that changes everything. Now, as you hear this account, I'm sure one of the first questions that comes to your mind is, prove it. I'm exactly the same. If I was one of the women and I heard the angels' news, I would say, prove it. You see, if what you are claiming is true, this will not only have major consequences for the women's day, but for the whole world. And this is my second point for today. The angel gives the women three proofs to show that Jesus had risen. Have a look again at what verses 6 to 7 says. And we see first in verse 6, that the angel said Jesus rose from the dead just like he said he would. The first proof that the angel gives to the women is the words of Jesus. You see, Jesus had predicted three times earlier in Matthew that he would die and then rise again. This is why that stone was put in front of the tomb, to make sure it wouldn't happen. The angel knows that Jesus does not lie. His words are truth. So the first thing he does is point the women back to the words of Jesus. But for anyone who knows their Jewish scriptures... This is not the only prediction that is found in the Bible that speaks of God's Messiah rising again from the dead. In Psalm 1610, we read of the predictions of the resurrection of the Messiah when it says, You will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. Or in Isaiah 5311, it says, After he had suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. In other words, God also predicts that hundreds of years before that his Messiah would be the one who would defeat death after suffering. So Jesus was merely pointing out to people what they should know, that the Messiah would rise again from the grave. But this is not the only evidence that the angel gives. In verse 6, they give a second proof. The angel tells the women to look and see that there is no body. You see, this would have been a deal breaker, wouldn't it? If the angel said, Jesus has risen and then looked in the tomb and saw that there was a body there, then it would have been obvious that this was not true. But you see, the grave was empty. There was no body in the tomb at all. The angels say, come and see where he lay. Notice that it's in the past tense, the place where he used to lay, but he's no longer there because he's risen. And notice that the women don't doubt this. For them, it's obvious and true. Jesus' body was not there. So already we're seeing the evidence stack up. First, you have Jesus' words and the scriptures saying that he would rise. Secondly, you have no body in the tomb. 
Well, the third and final proof that the angel gives that Jesus had risen was that he was going to Galilee, where the women and his disciples could see Jesus in his risen state. Jesus was going to Galilee, and the women and the other disciples could go and with their own eyes could see Jesus alive. It's pretty hard to argue that someone is dead when they're actually alive. I once remember hearing news, a news story about a man who was lost, presumed dead, on the television. But he was also listening to the same news in his friend's lounge room. Could you imagine that? Watching the news and the headlines are, you are dead. It would be a strange reality to be confronted with, wouldn't it? So this man called the TV station, turned up to the police station and said, I am alive, to prove to them he was not dead. He proved it by turning up. This is the exact same evidence that Jesus plans on giving to the women and his disciples. And so with these three proofs, the women turned to go and tell the other disciples. But on the, then on the way out, Jesus himself appears to the women in the garden. Notice that they were able to touch him and speak to him. This was not a ghost. This was not fake. But it was the fully resurrected Lord Jesus it was a full bodily resurrection. His body hadn't been left in the tomb. Jesus hadn't become some sort of spirit. Rather, what we go on to read is that Jesus had a bodily resurrection where he could eat with people, touch people, and be touched by people. You see, this is how we know that the resurrection of Jesus is true. From the accounts of those who witnessed the events, those who saw Jesus, those who touched him, those who spoke with him and ate with him after the resurrection, and they kept accounts of their interactions with him. As they met Jesus, and we're told in 1 Corinthians by Paul, that at one time Jesus appeared to over 500 people at one time, they passed on this news, and it's been passed on through the generations to you and I. And so, friends, this account leaves us with no doubt that Jesus, who died on the cross, rose again from the dead three days later and is now alive. This news changes everything. Well, the question for us, as I highlighted at the beginning of the talk, is what are we going to do with this information? It's not just a question for us, is it? But it was also a question for those who first witnessed the event. We saw how the women behaved. They believed. They believed the angel and they believed Jesus and they went and did as they were told. But what about the soldiers seeing all this happen? Well, the last we saw of them was they were like dead men. Back in verse 4, can you see it there? But they didn't stay like dead men, did they? And more so after they witnessed this event, they started to get very concerned. You see, they too can see that Jesus' body is no longer there. And rather than, than, rather than them being amazed by this or happy by this, their thoughts go to the trouble that they're in. They had one job to do, and they couldn't even do that. But rather than them putting their trust in Jesus, they become concerned for their own necks. You see, for them, their job was to make sure Jesus' body did not disappear, to make sure no funny business happened. Back in verse 65 of the previous chapter, Pilate sent them to the tomb to make it secure so they could squash the rumours of Jesus rising again. You've got to remember, these guards were Roman guards. They were the best known in the world at this time. And if they didn't carry out their orders, then they would be killed for not doing what they were told. What would you do if you were one of those guards and you had lost the body and you meant 
You knew this meant certain death. Well, they did the only thing they thought they could do. They tried to cover up for their mistake. Notice in verse 11, they go straight to the high priest and talk with him. Here we see that the high priest tells, uh, they tell the high priest everything that happened. And what happens next is absolutely fascinating. Instead of the high priest himself being amazed or, or, or trusting in Jesus, rather he helps to make up a story for the guards to cover up what really happened. He pays off the guards to keep up, so they would keep up their side of the story. You see, otherwise the high priest would have to admit that he was wrong, that Jesus was the Son of God. And boy, there's no way that he wanted to do this. So instead, he made up a story to try and divert people from knowing the truth. And friends, we often see this in the world today, don't we? We hear the news that Jesus Christ lived, died and rose again, which shows him who he claimed to be, but it feels like a threat to the autonomy of our world. And you see, friends, we like to be in control of our lives. But Jesus' resurrection shows that he's the Son of God. He's the Lord and King of the universe. Notice how the women worshipped him. Jesus is the centre of the universe and we are not. But those in this world feel threatened and desire to do their own things. And so they reject Jesus and try to cover up the truth of his resurrection. It's like someone who covers their eyes and says, if I can't see it, then it mustn't be true. People do this today by using other distractions to fill their lives with other things. They say the Bible, well, that's just for kids. It's just kids' stories. And they urge uh, us to keep the message of Jesus at, at arm's length. And, and society does it by promoting things like Easter eggs and hot cross buns and public holidays and the Easter show when it's on. They promote the commercial side of Easter to push away the message of Jesus' resurrection. But it only lasts so long, doesn't it? In the end, sickness, hardship, and eventually death catches up with us all. And we're seeing this, the full effects of this right now, aren't we? We're reminded that we are not in control and we really do need help. And so, friends, I would like you to see today that this account of Jesus' resurrection is true he did rise again from the dead. He did show that he truly is the Son of God. But rather than this being a threat, it is good news because Jesus has promised to raise all those in the same way that he was raised if we just trust in him. Rather than responding like the guards, friends, rather than responding like the world around us, we need to be like the women. We need to believe. And so as I conclude today, we're left with the same dilemma as that first Easter morning. We've heard the scandalous news of an empty grave. We've seen the evidence for the resurrection. And we've heard how those who first witnessed it responded. The question becomes, how do you respond to the empty grave? Well, let me urge you today, this Easter Sunday, to believe it. Lee Strobel is a journalist who sent out to, uh, set out to investigate and disprove Christianity. But eventually, after looking at all the evidence, he came to faith in Jesus. Listen to what he says about this process. He says, in short, I didn't become a Christian because God promised I would have an even happier life than I had as an atheist. He never promised any such thing. Indeed, following him would inevitably bring divine demotions in the eyes of the world. 
Rather, I became a Christian because the evidence was so compelling that Jesus really is the one and only Son of God who proved his divinity by rising from the dead. That meant that following him was the most rational and logical step I could possibly take. Friends, this Easter, let me urge you to take the most rational, logical step that you can possibly take. Believe the claims of the Bible that Jesus who has died, who had died, is now risen from the dead and alive with his Father in heaven. Put your trust in Jesus because he was raised and he has promised to raise all from the dead who trust in him. Don't be like the guards. Don't be like our society around us and ignore the truth because in the end, it will amount to nothing. No matter what we fill our lives with, in the end, we will all die. But Jesus can save us from an eternal death. So trust in him that he has defeated death, that he has risen from the grave and in doing so offers you and I the gift of eternal life. Well, friends, this is the end of our series on the great Easter scandal. The guilty are set free. You and I are set free while Jesus is condemned. The innocent dies. Jesus dies to take the death that you and I deserve for rejecting God. He takes our punishment and the empty tomb. Jesus has defeated death and through faith in him, we too can be raised to an eternal life. Let me urge you, put your trust in Jesus for this life and for the life to come. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that Jesus was raised from the dead. We thank you so much for the many witnesses who saw this and have testified to this and have passed this news on so that we too can hear this wonderful news. Thank you that through faith in him, we can have eternal life and we too can be raised from the dead. Help us as we respond to this message with faith and obedience. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.